Hi, David. Hey. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say anything uh, specific about how I'm doing because I know we've agreed to not mention anything that will situate this episode in any specific time frame. Hashtag radio secrets. Yeah, we were recording this in advance. Hashtag we record everything in advance. This makes this makes the back and forth talking very difficult. <laughs> However, what has brought us together to record this episode... Thank you, thank you. ...is an appreciation for Jewish media makers. Yeah, when we started the Trafe podcast, we, we sent these letters out to all the different Jewish media organizations that we could think of. We wrote up a whole press release, and we thought at least a couple of them would mention it. Maybe we got ahead of ourselves with that one. Zero interest. Except for... Uh, one, Leslie Lutsky, the host of Jewish Digest, a longtime radio show based out of Montreal. It's been around for over 25 years. At Radio Centreville, it's a community radio station in the Mile End, actually, near the bagel shops for those who have visited and have been to said bagel shops. Yeah, so anyway, he invited us on to his show. And treated us super fairly in a way that I don't know if either of us were sure was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I remember, Sam, you showed up with a mustache. <laughs> Yep, that is true. No explanation. I don't think that had anything to do with the interview. Yeah, it was never quite explained. Nope. All jokes aside, Leslie was kind enough to bring us on probably like one week after we put out an episode. And more importantly than being supportive of our little enterprise, has been documenting Jewish life in Montreal from a non-overtly institutional perspective for almost three decades. And... Recently, his show came to an end for a bunch of reasons that we will get into shortly, but we wanted to honor the work that he's done. And so one thing that came to mind was looking through some of the archives of his shows. And so David reached out to the Canadian Jewish Congress archives. Or it's, it's now the Alex Dworkin Canadian Jewish archives. This is because the Canadian Jewish Congress no longer exists, which we'll get into in a, in a future show. Stay tuned, dear listener. But um, so David reached out to them. Thank you so much to them. They actually sent us a whole bundle of interviews that Leslie has done. Yeah, thanks specifically to Janice Rosen, who is a huge help and went through some of Leslie's archives and digitized them from the original tape format to send them our way. And yeah, so basically, David and I had this idea of finding some of the interviews that Leslie's done on Jewish Digest over the years and that we thought listeners of Trafe would appreciate and put them out over the next however many months as part of a short that we are tentatively calling From the Archives. But before we get to those archives, we were able to get Leslie to come over to the studio and just talk a bit about uh, Jewish Digest, look back on his time doing the show, and, and to talk a bit about why it ended. And before we get into the interview, David, I'd like to ask people listening if they have any ideas of newspapers, radio shows, oh, yeah, idea. et cetera, et cetera, in their hometown or where they're living that have kind of gone under or are not necessarily as exposed to the youth <laughs> to <laughs> to get in touch and if there's a if there's a series of archives we'd both love to go through them trafepodcast at gmail.com yeah specifically audio archives particularly with a leftist jewish orientation as we think about it more and more there's important activist intergenerational work that needs to be done and so before we get to any of these archives that we've been able to get our hands on we were able to get Leslie Lutsky into the studio to talk a bit about Jewish Digest, looking back at the at the 25 years that he was on the air, and, and also talking about why the show ended. So enjoy.
Okay, hi, my name is Leslie Lutsky. I live in Montreal and I give walking tours of the Jewish history of Montreal, how to get that plug in, and I bake cakes in a cooperative cafe. And whatever else you're going to find out about me will depend upon the questions that these gentlemen ask me. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's a real pleasure on this blizzardy day. I was going to ask, first off, how does it feel to be on the other side of the mic right now? It feels different. I rather enjoy it. It brings back memories of being on your side of the mic. <laughs> um, well, the first thing that I think we both want to say is that we're really sorry to see the show go. And for our listeners who are outside of Montreal, can we start by, can you maybe just talk a bit about what the show was and what led you to start it? Okay, Jewish Digest was aired on Radio Centreville in Montreal for about 25 years. Two reasons the show stopped. Number one, I was getting a little bit tired of all of it. It was a lot of work. I had to arrange interviews. Then I had to go with a tape recorder to interview people in all kinds of places, come home, <laughs> edit the stuff, then take it to the radio station early in the morning to play the darn thing. It was really, really a lot of work. And I was probably the last interviewer using a cassette tape recorder and making copies on tape. I was doing it until like three or four months ago. And the radio station itself had a lot of problems, financial problems, a lot of infighting. And at this point, there are two boards of directors at the station, neither of which recognize the validity of each other. And they have different schedules happening, different language programs. So the whole thing is a mess. But basically, I stopped after 25 years. I was getting a bit tired of all of that work I was doing. Yeah, and for people who don't know, I believe the show was on at 8 a.m.? It was 8.30 on Saturday mornings, a very <laughs> unlikely time for a Jewish program, but that's when English programming was. Um, and can you talk a little bit about what Jewish Digest was? Like, what was the kind of guiding principle, or how did you kind of describe what the show was about? Jewish Digest was basically an interview format, interviews plus music as well, and the topics were anything and everything of Jewish interest or, or related to Judaism in some form. I had you know, extreme leftists, extreme right-wing people. I had religious people, people from all over the world talking about Jewish communities in Africa and South America. I mean, on, on our show, uh, something we talk a lot about is how sort of bleak the Jewish media landscape is today in Canada. And, and so I'm, I'm curious what that landscape looked like when you started Jewish Digest. Was it a lot different? When I started, there were about three or four Jewish radio programs in Montreal. None of them were progressive. There were a couple of Jewish TV programs as well. And in my opinion, they were basically promoting, let's go to Israel, let's support Israel. That seemed to be the big thing about them. And some of them were sponsored, so they had to tow a certain line. Whereas Jewish Digest had no sponsors. I didn't you know, owe anything to anyone, so I could be quite independent. But I found the other programs were 
you know, they played nice music. Some of them were they would tell Yiddish stories. <laughs> but in terms of, you know, g- thought, you know, it wasn't really very much happening. And you even had Radio Shalom, which, in my opinion, you know, was rather right-wing and, you know, religious as well. So I don't think that was appealing to most of the Jewish people in Montreal. And there was, of course, the good old Canadian Jewish News, which seems to run its own course all the time. But I would say the Jewish media was never particularly progressive. And even on Radio McGill, there were Jewish programs, but they also, you know, they were they would play like odd music, have odd guests, but when it came to Israel or Palestine, they were playing it safe. We, we don't often get to talk to someone who's been involved in Jewish media for this long, and you talked about how 25 or 30 years ago the Jewish media was fairly conservative. Are there changes that you've seen over the course of this period? Like, it seems like there are less and less Jewish radio now, or there's less and less Jewish media, but are, are there any kind of, like, ideological shifts or dynamics that have changed over time? Well, as you say, there's much less Jewish media now, for sure. I would say now everyone has access to the Internet, well, except me, of course, so people, <laughs> people could do whatever they want on the radio. So if two guys in Montreal want to have a rad Jewish show, you know, they're able to do it. And there's all sorts of stuff out there on the internet, but I'm just not sure, you know, what any of it is. But I would say, generally, the media in Montreal has erred on the side of caution when it comes to discussing Middle East politics. I mean, I think something that in today's Jewish media environment would be extremely unusual about your show is that it was completely independent. You know, like each episode was broadcast at a community radio station. It was archived at the Canadian Jewish Congress's archives. And did it feel like the show was coming out of a community context? Like, did you feel supported in what you were doing at the time when you started? I had applied to Congress for a couple of grants, each one about $75 to buy like tape recorders, things like that. And in the first two years, they gave me two grants, $75 each. And then I never asked for anything anymore. So in that sense, yes, I was supported. But in any other sense, I mean, the program was on Saturday morning at 8.30. So right away, it was reason not to support it. And I didn't feel that that station or the program I was doing had any big influence within the English community of Montreal. I also was hoping to continue on the the reception of the show because off-air, before we started recording, you mentioned that there was a time when members of the institutional Jewish community were listening to shows to see who was a rabble-rouser, who made trouble, and did you so I mean there there's a question of support on the one hand that David just asked, but also how did you feel was received beyond the level of support? Sometimes people would see me on the street, recognize my voice, or know who I was, and they would give me a certain comments like I'll give an example. I had someone on from a group in Boston, a Jewish lesbian group, and someone said on the street why did you have her on the program for? What's the point of having her on? And they were like kind of upset about it. And I would often have reaction like that. On the other hand, people would also give me very positive comments. I used to announce the program every week in Canadian Jewish News, and they'd say, oh, I'm going to listen to that. It sounds like a really great 
interview, so the reaction was mixed, but very often there was very little, if any, reaction. I mean, something, because we look back on the archives, and something that I noticed in the show's trajectory is that over time, the amount of leftist Jewish activity that you're covering in Montreal started to decrease pretty rapidly. And like, did you notice this too? Like, was this? Oh yeah. And and do you think it was just a, a result of changes in the community, or was it a decision on your part at any point? Okay, there's two things. When I began, I would you know go looking for people from the Jewish communist movements, you know, from Jewish Bundist, etc., etc. And once I did one or two, I didn't have to go looking for those anymore. But that's just a small part of it. Basically, when organizations like the Palestinians or whomever would invite, you know, guests from Israel, you know, some leftists from Israel, I would contact them, hey, you know, I'd like to interview so-and-so for Jewish Digest, and I got no reaction, you know, nothing. And if they don't want to respond or take it seriously, then I don't want to chase them about it. But if I, you know, called some right-winger was coming to Montreal, oh, yeah, you know, we'd be glad to do the interviews. So it just, it worked out like that. It's not what I wanted, but it's just... I could only interview who would agree to be interviewed. Like you just felt like the the Jewish right over that time had it a lot more together than the left? I think the Jewish right, or the right in general, have more... They're more organized. I think they have more status within the community. I think they have more money for certain things, where I think the left is not always organized and... <laughs> I mean, I think that's the main reason. I don't think any anyone was saying, well, no, we don't want to have him on that program. I think they just weren't organized enough. The lack of organization continues to plague us. Airing the dirty laundry again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, I guess that framing is one way, but I think that engaging with some of our, some of our difficulties is actually a really healthy thing and something that we need to do. Um, you mentioned the Jewish left in Montreal 25 or 30 years ago. Could you talk about what that organizing looked like? I mean, me and David were not alive or very young. Uh, which is it, not alive or very young? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on whether it's 25 or 30 years ago. Oh, okay, good answer. When I began this program, a lot of the leftists I was interviewing were from organizations that had been active until the 1950s, maybe even the early 60s. So I was interviewing old, old people who were basically reminiscing. You know, now people realize Stalin wasn't such a great guy. But <laughs> that the, is the understatement of yeah, the podcast. <laughs> but, but at that time, there were people who at one time we know were big, you know, Jewish Stalinists. There was, you know, the United Jewish People's Order School in Chevsky in Montreal, which, you know, were supporters of Stalin until a certain point. Before but it, the revelations came out. Yeah, yeah, 1956, most of them, if not all, you know, completely changed course. So I would interview people about that organization. Even at this time, they didn't agree with it anymore, but they would reminisce and say what the beliefs were in the 19, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and why they were part of all of that. So a lot of what I was doing was more historical than current. And at that time also, I guess, there were many people coming to Montreal from Israel who were opposed to the government policy in one way or another. There were people from Shalom Akshav, which at that time was considered very radical. If you supported Shalom Akshav, you were against Israel. Now it's, you know, the thinking has changed very much. But then if they came a second or third time, maybe I'd interview them twice, 
but uh, for a third time, I just wouldn't bother. I've already interviewed them once or twice, don't need to interview them again. And very often it was the same people, you know, coming every, you know, three or four years. So that's another reason why the decline in the left. And to be honest, even in the last year, I've contacted groups, you know, progressive Jewish organizations, whatever, and they never really got back to me. So I just didn't do it. On a previous episode, we were speaking with Carl Rosenberg, uh, who is the last editor of Outlook magazine, oh, yes. uh, formerly Canadian Jewish Outlook. Right. I used to sell their paper in Montreal. Oh, no way. Yeah, I interviewed people from Outlook as well. And, and something that we were asking him is that over his time with the magazine, we imagine he must have had so many run-ins with people from the institutional Jewish community just because our experience in, in about two years has, has been pretty wacky at times. And Really? You'll and have we, to tell me about that. <laughs> well, 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 part of it was that we were surprised that he, he only had very few interactions and it seemed like they were pretty stiff. And mm -hmm. Have you had any uh, weird stories? Of Do you know what I have come to think of it? And I hadn't thought of this for a long time. When the, uh, when the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was in Montreal, he was giving a talk at Shar HaShemayim. This was her, his first time being the Prime Minister of Israel. So I went there with my tape recorder, and security wanted to check my tape recorder. So, okay, I let them check it, no problem. Went in, and I was sitting down. And then I got picked up by the security, and they actually dragged me out of the place. Oh, wow. And this was actually written up in Canadian Jewish News. There was, you know, a fairly decent article about it. But they gave me no reason, but they said, you know, you're considered an unwanted person or something. So, you know, don't, I never did, I certainly never received an apology. And another time there was a big conference in Montreal, I think of Canadian Jewish Congress. And from that one, I did receive a letter of apology for also taking me out. I think David's mentioned this to you, but we were hoping to air some of the interviews that you did over the years on Jewish Digest. And for people listening now 10, 15, 20 years later, even though some of these organizations might not exist anymore, they do tell a piece of history that we don't often engage with as North American Jews. No, certainly at one time there, you know, were very, very active leftist communities, you know, Jewish communities, you know, all over North America of all kinds. And I think it's important that this not be wiped out of Jewish history. We've wiped out the Bund from our own history. Now, people talk about, well, Zionism is the national liberation movement of the Jewish people. Well, at one time, you know, there was this big debate, whether it be Zionism, Bundism, you know, communism, there was a Jewish faction in the Communist Party, you know, or even just to have our own land, you know, anywhere, not necessarily Israel. So it's very much, I was at a talk in McGill with um, Nathan Sharansky was talking, this was maybe 25 years ago, 20 years ago, talking about the Soviet Union, talking about the Jewish history there. And he was talking about, you know, how the, you know, czars were terrible, you know, which they were. Then he was speaking about how the communist governments obliterated Judaism one step at a time, you know, which fine. And then he was saying the only way for Jewish people to be Jewish, the only national movement, you know, that, that had any hope or that existed 
was the Zionist movement. And, you know, at the end I put up my hand and reminded him that there was also the Bundist movement, which, you know, had quite the following the Soviet Union at the beginning of the century. And he just said, well, I can't talk about everything in one hour. But to me, he was just, you know, part of a process to wipe out the Jewish history. And there were a lot of young people there, McGill students, and they should, you know, know, they should be aware that Zionism wasn't the only solution, because many of them do not know that. And one of the hopes I had for Jewish Digest was to raise this awareness to uncover a lot of our own history so people can be aware of it, even if they disagreed passionately with it or thought, you know, I'm uncovering dirty rocks. didn't matter. To me, it was important for the awareness to be out there. So... The last question I have is why now? Like, why did you choose now to end the show? Is it just kind of where you're at, or are there things going on in the Jewish community that led you to this decision, or what? What, what is it about right now? As I said, there were a number of problems at the radio station. If I was to continue, they would have wanted me to pay about one hundred and fifty dollars. And I just didn't want to be involved in, you know, a number of fundraisers. And I didn't want to pay $150. I didn't want to, you know, be involved in all these fundraisers, which never raised enough money anyhow. But also, how many people can I interview from, you know, a lesbian lefty group, you know, against the occupation? If you interview one in San Francisco and there's another one in Boston, you know, is there really a difference from one to the other? I felt that there was a certain repetition happening, even if it was different organizations. And in a certain sense, all the ideas, you know, I had done 1,400 interviews, which is a lot of different topics, a lot of ideas, and I could have still continued. There's no shortage of, you know, Jewish art, Jewish theme artists, you know, musicians, et cetera, et cetera. But I was, you know, it just came to a point where I've been on long enough, you know, let someone else, and then you two guys came along, you know, to do it. Well, Leslie, thanks again. We, we mentioned this earlier in the show, but like when we started the show, we, we put out a big release and told all these different Jewish media outlets about it. And I think you, you were the only one that reached out to us and actually supported us when we started. I also had you guys on when you did your little occupation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, organizing utterly to the show. Um, but yeah, we really appreciated it, and uh, we really appreciate all the work that you've done with the show, and we're, and we're really looking forward to sharing some of those interviews with our listeners. Great. Thanks very much. And where can people who are interested in the work you're doing get in touch? I'll give my email address, mostly for my Jewish walking tour. It's Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E. L-J-D at yahoo.com or Google Jewish Walking Tour History Montreal on Facebook. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, it was great. Trafe Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CKUT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganagahaga territory. 
Uh, thanks to Claire Hertig, our Minister of Design, to Kira Page, our social media consultant, to Cadence O'Neill, who designed TravePodcast.com, to C. Lavery, who designed our poster, as well as Sax Syndrome and so-called for the music that you heard. And as always, Ariana Katz, who is our staff rabbi. Send all comments and suggestions to TravePodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on all the social medias at Trafe, T-R-E-Y-F. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.